ask you a question. What have you talked yourself out of that God is trying to bring you into? What are you talking yourself out of right now that God is trying to bring you into? We've all got something that we, we're talking ourselves out of. My name is Adam. If this is your first time here, we are pumped you chose to spend the last weekend in September with us, which is weird and kind of depressing, but it is. Uh, so we're in the tail end of a series called Superlative. Uh, so I have a, a third grader and a second grader uh, in my house right now, and a one and a half year old who thinks he's in charge of the world, but the uh, story isn't about him. Um, they bring homework home, and quite honestly, it's like foreign to me. I, if you said the sentence, Adam, can you do third grade math? I would say, yeah. But then when they bring it home, I'm like, okay. And I find myself saying the sentence, I know how to do it, but not like that. Anybody else can say amen to that? Because I don't know what in the world's going on with that. So um, it's amazing to me how much things have changed since I've been in school. And uh, like more than <laughs> I care to admit, because um, I, was, I was reflecting, I was trying to think like, oh, it's been like 10 years since they're in high school. And then I'm like, oh. <laughs> That's part of the reason, because it hasn't been 10 years, it's closer to 20 than it is to 10, and I started to get depressed, and then when I was cutting my hair yesterday, I noticed that there was more gray than, and I'm, I have a birthday in a couple weeks, this is a bad time for me. My back hurts, I'm eating dinner at 4.30, it's weird, it's weird, everything's... So let me continue with that train of thought. Back in my day, school, school was different, right? So do you remember, how many of you remember math teachers saying to you, like, you need to learn this stuff because you're not going to carry a calculator around in your pocket every day, right? <laughs> Liar, right? Liar. Um, I also remember an English teacher saying something similar, like, you know, you need to learn these words to spell them, to define them, because you're not going to carry a dictionary around. Like, what about a mini computer that fixes all my mistakes as I make them, <laughs> you know? Like, that doesn't even sound real, right? If you go back and tell yourself that 15 years ago, you'd be like, no way, but that's where we're at. It's amazing how much stuff has changed, and what I feel is a short amount of time. Um, now, there was some useful stuff I learned, and I don't know about you, like, as you reflect back on, like, your school year, like, can you remember specifics? It's weird, like, it's hard to pick out actual specific things you learned, right? Like, I learned, I don't know, the water cycle, I read To Kill a Mockingbird, I don't know, right? You start to, like, actually think about details, it's kind of difficult to pick them out. But I do remember one kind of deep thing. Um, it was in a class called POD, that's what we called it anyways, and I can't remember whether that meant principles of democracy or problems in democracy. Either one works, honestly. Um, my teacher was Mr. Ankrum. He was a really good guy, man, super passionate, lots of energy, loved our country. I was in high school when 9-11 happened, and I remember he was like bawling his eyes out, like this dude just loves our country. Perfect guy to teach you about this kind of stuff. Uh, and I remember one specific thing stuck in my mind that he taught us. Just a single sentence. And uh, if you're a, a teacher, you know that 
one sentence sticking in a student's head is actually a, a good thing. <laughs> That's like a win, you know, <laughs> like, because usually it's none. Um, so in talking about democracy and like how freedom works, uh, here's what he told us. Uh, and he said this often. He said, my rights end where your rights begin. My rights end where your rights begin. And uh, I just remember him, him repeatedly talking about this. And honestly, the whole class kind of revolved around this idea uh, because this is a simple and, and, you know, short sentence, but it's an incredibly complex idea, right? And our country has honestly spent the better part of 300 years figuring out how this works, right? It's a, it's a difficult concept, right? Um, and I looked at the original quote. This is just a fun fact because I nerd out on stuff like this. I was like trying to find who said this. And they actually, historians believe that this quote comes from another quote. Uh, and the actual quote was, my right to swing my fist ends where your nose begins. Isn't that cool? That's, that's cool. I like that one better. Um, but the idea is that I have a defined space and you have a defined space and, and I end kind of where you begin, right? My rights should not impede on your rights and your rights should not impede on my rights. Deciding where that line goes is like half our battles in this country, maybe more. Where do I end and where do you begin? Now, here's the, here's the thing. This isn't just a problem of democracy, is it? This is a problem of life. Trying to figure out where I end and where you begin. And, and it's not just rights, it, it's when it comes to responsibilities, right? In your relationships, in your life, where do you end and where do other people begin? You know, in your relationship with your spouse, in your relationship with your kids, your parents, your friends, your family, everybody in your sphere, where do you end and where do they begin? So what I want to talk to you about today is one of the biggest barriers to living a superlative life. So just to uh, remind you, or if this is your first time here, the word superlative uh, means of the highest kind, quality, or order, surpassing all else or others, supreme. And what we've been trying to talk about in this series is what it would take for this word to describe your life. That's what we want. We want a superlative life, the highest kind, quality, or order. And out of everything we talked about in this series so far, when it comes to having a superlative life, you know, pursuing purpose, having faith, not letting your past uh, define your future, taking the long way around, all of that really important. But if you can get all those right, but if you don't have healthy relationships with other human beings in your life, it all goes out the window, doesn't it? You could, you could get every single thing we talked about so far right, but if you get your relationships with other people wrong, it'll mess everything up. So what I want to talk about today is that line where you end and someone else begins and, and how that line messing that up can mess up the ability to have this kind of a life, okay? Where you end and where others begin. Uh, let's pray and then jump into that. Jesus, I thank you so much for being here. I know you are, and uh, I pray for every single person here, Lord, uh, who uh, maybe, maybe they're struggling in their interactions with others. Maybe uh, they really want to help people, um, but they're finding it difficult. I pray uh, that you would speak to us this morning and our hearts would be soft and able to hear you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so I want to look at a pivotal couple of verses uh, in the Bible when it comes to our interactions with others, and it will also kind of help us differentiate, like, 
where I end and where you begin. It's in Galatians chapter six, starting in verse one. We're just kind of going to hit the beginning of this chapter. So uh, I'm going to, a guy named Paul wrote the book of Galatians. So if I say, hey, Paul wrote this, that's what I mean, because sometimes I just do that. I kind of, my brain just kind of flips into that. So a guy named Paul, you know, a couple decades after Jesus died and rose from the dead, he wrote the book of Galatians. So I'm going to be talking about Paul writing this uh, often. I just want to give you that little background. So Galatians chapter six, starting in verse one. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. So the first thing we see here in these verses uh, is that in a general sense, we're called to help people, right? That's, that's a part of the Christian calling is to help people. Uh, and part of that, uh, I mean, that, that is a part of your purpose. So if you're, if you're wondering what your purpose is in life, it probably has something to do with helping others, right? It's gonna, it's gonna have something to do with making other people's lives better in some way, whether it's emotionally, spiritually, physically, uh, in some way. And a part of that, a part of helping others uh, is when you see a fellow Christian uh, in your sphere of influence, I'm going to add that little asterisk there, caught in a sin, you should attempt to restore them. The reason I say in your sphere of influence is because I don't think if you see somebody on Twitter saying something that they shouldn't be saying, that your responsibility is to correct them. I actually don't think that. But the people who God's kind of placed in your life, you know, your, your family, your friends, those coworkers, like your tribe, right? People at your church, like the people who God has placed in your life. If you see them stuck in something, it is your job, your duty, your Christian duty to go and, and try to restore them, Right? That's a part of your calling. That's a part of your purpose. Isn't that a weird thing to think about? Like, I don't know if you knew this, but part of your purpose as a Christian is to call other people up. Even, even you could use the language to call them out. To call them back. That's a part of your purpose. That's a role you're going to play in somebody else's life. You're not supposed to sit silently by while someone you love destroys their life. God puts you in their life to be a voice. Use it. Use it. Now, so just side question, who in your sphere of influence right now do you need to call up? Do you have anybody right now who, who you're, you're thinking, ooh, yeah, God, maybe God put me there to say something about that. And, and if you're a non-confrontational person, that terrifies you, uh, but we'll get to that here in a minute. Um, now, it does tell us how, doesn't it? Did you notice that? Some of you need this. Uh, it, it said a very important word, and it's stuck right here in the middle. It says, gently, Right? Some of you need to underline or highlight only this word. This is the only word you need to highlight because you're really good at, t- at calling someone out. You're not very good at the gently part. And uh, for you, what you need to remember is how you say what you say is just as important as what you say. How many of men in this room have been married long enough to know that? Yes, have you, have you been married long enough? Just learning that just now, what, 20 years? Um, because... The logical person will say, I said the right thing, but does it really matter how I said it? I said the right thing, but it matters very much how you say what you say, right? Matter of fact, depending on the person you're interacting with, how you say it may be more important than what you say. So we have to keep that in mind. Gently, gently restore the person. And then he gives a little warning at the end of the verse. Did you see that? Watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Like a specific warning to those of us who are going to help someone to watch ourselves so that we're not tempted as well. Like, don't try to pull somebody out of a pit and get pulled in yourself, and then we have two people in the pit that we have to pull out. That's what he's saying, don't do that. And for me, 
as I read this, like, I wonder, we, we don't know, but I wonder how much of a spiritual thing is going on when he warns us about that. Like, like when you go to try and help somebody, you don't know what's happening behind the scenes spiritually as you go to try to help them. And I wonder, like, we know there are spiritual forces at work and when you go to try to help somebody, it's not just defense, it's offense that these spiritual forces play. And he's saying, hey, watch out for that. Like, don't, don't go to a bar to try and pull somebody out of the bar and end up drinking with them. Like, don't, don't do that, you know? Like, that's, that's a thing. There's something happening in the spiritual that you don't know that, man, you're gonna be tempted in very, I think, similar ways to the thing that you're trying to help the people with. So, watch yourself. That's the first thing. The first part of helping people is we call them up, we call them out, we call them back. Uh, those that are close to us. Verse two, he continues. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So when it comes to our interactions with others, we are called, even commanded here, to carry each other's burdens. We're we're called to do that. Now, the word burden's important. Some of these details are really important. You can't gloss over it while reading this text. You get really confused if you don't look at these details. The word here for burden, uh, just quick background, the, the New Testament of the Bible was written originally in Greek, so this is a translation of what was originally written. So this word, originally in Greek, kind of carries the idea of something really big and really heavy, like too heavy for someone to carry on their own for very long. The, the visual I usually have in my head when I see this word is like a boulder sitting on somebody's back and their legs are kind of shaking underneath it and there's just no way they're gonna be able to take more than just a few steps before they just collapse. That's what a burden is. So when someone close to you has a situation where things are overwhelming and too much for their legs to handle, you as a fellow Christian are called to go and get your shoulder underneath that thing and you pick it up with them. So you add to the strength of their legs, the strength of your legs. And now you're able to continue moving on in life because you both have your shoulder underneath this thing. They can't carry it on their own, but together you can. When you come alongside there, the legs won't buckle because the weight is distributed. Now, he even gives us here motivation as to why we would do that. He says, in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And, and all he means there is, hey, this is what Jesus did for us. This is, this is what Jesus did for us. When Jesus came to earth, he died for our sins and paid a price that we couldn't pay. By the way, if you don't know what it means to be a Christian, that's what it means to be a Christian is to put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus came and he died on the cross and took our sin onto himself. So a Christian is somebody who acknowledges that they have sin and says, I put my faith in Jesus and Jesus takes that sin onto himself and he carried it to the cross and he uh, gives us back in return forgiveness. Jesus, kind of the ultimate example, right? Of carrying other people's burdens. That's what Jesus did. That was a mark of his life. So as a Christian, we're supposed to to emulate this. We're supposed to follow our savior. We're supposed to uh, follow his example. Jesus didn't live for self like at all. Can you find one story in the Bible about Jesus living for self? His example is one we should follow. When someone is carrying something too heavy for them, we carry it with them. So here's what I'm gonna do. I wanna stop just right here. and re-emphasize you, part of your calling in life. So part of your purpose, and again, that's like a really big thing. A lot of people are like, I don't know what my purpose is. I guarantee it has something to do with helping others. I guarantee it. There's something God gifted you, God created you, God wrote your DNA in some way to help others. 
All of uh, your life experience, all of your intelligence, all of your emotional bent, all of that, God put all that together and he wants to use you specifically to help other people in a very specific way because he shaped you for that and even placed you in your life for that. And sometimes that means calling people out. Sometimes that means calling people up. Sometimes that means helping people up when they're down. It's supposed to be a mark of the Christian life. And it's not really supposed to be optional, just so you know. It's not like there are some Christians who are help people and then there are other Christians who don't. That's not really the way it's supposed to be. We're all supposed to be in this together, helping other people. So for some of you in this room, I guess this is maybe the part of the sermon where you need to like feel the conviction. I don't want you to feel shame. I don't want you to feel guilt. I just want you to kind of feel like, okay, God, are you trying to tell me something here? Ask yourself, in what ways am I helping people in my life? Try to answer it specifically. <laughs> it's harder when you do that, by the way. You can just say yes, but once you actually try to define it, you know, how am I helping people? It's harder. In what ways am I not living for my own satisfaction, my own happiness, my own fulfillment, but for others? When is the last time specifically that I got my shoulder underneath someone else's burden and, and helped lift that thing up? When's the last time I did that specifically? Maybe, Maybe the, this part of the sermon is the part that you really need to think, okay, I might be living more for self than what God actually wants me to be living for. Maybe I need to find some ways to, to get outside of myself and live to, to help others, live to uh, be you know, a, a, servant, a servant in other people's lives. Because I got a secret for you. So we've been talking about this superlative life, right? And, and to be honest, <laughs> when we first started talking about this series, <laughs> we turned it into a joke. I won't even tell you the specifics of the joke because I don't want to get in trouble. But um, it was this idea that like, if we were joking about how kind of selfish the idea is that I want to live a superlative life, right? Uh, you live your best life, right? Um, and I was like, no, that's, I was fighting vehemently that that's not what it is. That's not what it's about. But here's the secret, because it can sound that way, right? Like I'm trying to tell you, like, have, you want to live the spiritual life. You want to live your best life. You do. You do. And who doesn't, right? But here's the secret. If you really want to live a superlative life, live it for others. See, that's the thing. When people try to live their life solely for their own happiness, their own fulfillment, their own satisfaction, those people are miserable. They're miserable. Like that's the secret. They won't tell you that. You look on Instagram and their lives are perfect. They're on some beach somewhere and you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I had that. They're miserable on a beach, even worse, right? I'm telling you that the most fulfilling thing you can do is live your life pouring it out in service for others in the name of Jesus, making yourself that conduit through which God can move in other people's life. That's going to be the best life that you can live. It's going to be. You have to pour your life into others. It's serving. That's the secret. It's one that we don't like to hear, but that's the secret. So if you want to live a superlative life, live a selfless life. Selfish people don't live superlative. Selfish, selfish people live sad lives. The reason I, part of the reason I need to emphasize that, I wanted to emphasize that, obviously, because if you needed to hear that today, maybe you've been just all about you and what you want and what your, where your happiness is, where your fulfillment is, where your satisfaction is in life, and maybe today you need to say, ah, all right, Lord, I'm doing something wrong because it ain't working. 
and I, and I, wanna, I wanna find that, that thing and maybe it's in getting outside of yourself. So maybe that's for you. But the other reason I wanted to point this out and really emphasize this is because what comes next, these next verses that he's gonna give us here, they assume that you are serving. They assume that you are in some way helping other people in your life, that you have like an otherness kind of aspect to your life, that you're pouring out uh, your life into other people's lives, that you're even maybe a little tired because of it, because you help other people. It's like a mark that he's actually gonna kind of address here as we go. So verse three, there's an assumption that you're helping people, that you're serving in some way, in some capacity, you're helping other people's lives be better. Here's what he says to you, if you're a helper. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. <laughs> you ain't all that, man. Right? He's taking a shot here, specifically at people who help people. He's saying, hey, don't get, a, don't get an ego about that just because you're helping people. Like, do you, you, know, you know some people like that, right? You know some, some Christians like that who have the big S on the chest, you know, super Christian, you're welcome, I'm here to help. Uh, you know, you can thank me later, they're singing that Moana song, like, you're welcome. I sing that to my kids all the time. Um, but some people have that attitude about helping people, right? Like, you're welcome. Like, uh, you should be acknowledging how much I'm helping you right now, right? Um, and what he's warning us against here is like, hey, 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 no, 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 no. Don't get a big head about your role in someone else's life. Like you'll ruin it. You know you'll ruin your role in their life if you get a big head about having that role, right? You know that? Like it'll spoil it immediately, immediately. Stop lying to yourself. He's basically saying you're not that awesome. Happy Sunday. <laughs> you're not that awesome, okay? So, <laughs> I still remember, so about 10 years ago, gosh, I'm really having a hard time with time here today. About 10 years ago, uh, I was in the early stages of starting to meet with my mentor. And uh, I was really excited, super new to ministry and the whole thing. And I was just really uh, excited. And I started to get a little, um, we'll call it confident. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember the specifics of what I was saying to him. Uh, but it had to have been something just super cocky. Because I still remember to this day, we're sitting in Starbucks. He leaned across the table. He does this thing where he raises his eyebrows up. And he says, Adam, you're good, but you're not that good. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> it was like pinned to the head, like, like, okay, okay. But you need to remember that you're not the main character even in your own story, right? Like God's the main character of your story and God's the main character of other people's story. If you start to think you're the main character of their story, you've got something messed up. God's the main character. God wants to do things through you, through you. you not you, him doing it through you. It's a big distinction to make. Don't forget that. So developing a, a prideful attitude about your helping others is one pitfall you need to avoid. Now he's gonna tell us another pitfall here in verse four. Uh, he says, for each one should test their own actions, then they take, can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. So comparison is that second trap that you could fall into as a, as a person who tries to help people, as a person who tries to be a servant to people. It's a temptation to look at your ability to help people compared to someone else's ability to help people. It's a, it's a temptation that you could succumb to. And there's two dangerous places that could lead. The first one would be pride. You look around and you go, man, these guys are trying to help people, but they can't help people as good as I can help people, right? Like there's, a, I got something that nobody else has. I've got some angle. I've got some piece of my brain that God gave me, some groove that I've fallen into and in serving people. Nobody can touch this. You could go prideful. 
Or you could go, I don't know, like call it the pathetic route where you feel inferior, right? You watch somebody else and you're like, man, I'm serving here, but look at what they're doing. Man, if God were really moving, it would look more like what they're doing. I can't believe what God's doing through them. And you start to feel inferior. You start to feel like what God's doing through you isn't really all that impressive compared to what God's doing through them. Now, I don't think all comparing is bad. I'll tell you that again. I think it's a, it's a dangerous thing to do because you could go prideful. You could go uh, you know, feeling pathetic. You could go one of the two ways. But if you, if you compare to learn, if you compare to like hone your skills, that's a good thing. If you can do it, it's dangerous. But if you watch somebody else and say, oh man, look at that. Look how they're doing that. Like I wanna learn how they're doing it because that's really good. And I could actually like be more effective if I did it their way, you know? So for me, like the, this all plays out for me uh, as a pastor, you guys know how terrifying it is to stand up here when you guys could walk out that door. You could do it right now. Matter of fact, you could get on YouTube and watch some of the best preachers in the world right now as I'm preaching. Do you know how scary that is? You could just put an earbud in, I wouldn't even notice. You'd be amen to somebody else and I wouldn't even know. Maybe some of you need to do that. <laughs> so when I, like, I want you guys to know, I watch preachers all the time. I've got a list, a drop-down tab in my computer of churches that I watch. And I can go... Like one of three ways, right? There's some that are an ego boost for me. Like, oh my gosh, this guy's boring. I feel bad for those people. It's horrible, isn't it? We, we are so judgmental towards each other. And then other guys, the other end of the spectrum, I'm sitting here like, oh my gosh, how did he do that? Do you see how he set him up? Do you see how energetic he is? See how he runs across the stage? Uh, and I can feel like I can't even do anything. I'm just horrible. Or if I can keep those two things in check and both of them fight me all the time, I can say, oh man, look how he did that. That was awesome. The way he kind of built up to that. Maybe I can, I don't want to change myself to be just like him, but I could learn from that and actually maybe incorporate some of what he was doing there and what I'm doing. So comparison's dangerous, but it can also be useful. So you got to watch that when you're serving other people. How are you comparing? Are you comparing to learn? Are you comparing to feel better about yourself? Are you comparing to feel worse about yourself? Which is it? Now, verse five is really where I wanted to land here. Verse five, if you're just like skimming through the Bible, maybe you've not read the Bible a lot before, um, you could read these, this chunk of verses starting in verse one and hitting verse five and go, wait, what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Because uh, verse five, if you're just skimming, Makes no sense at all. Look what he says in verse five. For each one should carry their own load. Were you paying attention earlier? That's weird, right? Is that, is that weird? Which is it, right? Are we supposed to carry each other's burdens or are we supposed to carry our own load? Because verse two, I'll, in case you forgot, carry each other's burdens. Verse five, for each should carry their own load. What? Like, so I, I told you guys this, I'll like try to do like my imaginations to how stuff went down. Like if you're just reading this and you think that it means what, like on the surface, you have to assume like that Paul was writing in verse two and he got up to get lunch before he got to verse five and somebody ticked him off really bad between verse two and verse five. And he came back, he's like, you know what? Carry your own stupid load, you know? Like that's, you have to assume that. Um, but you have to dig a little bit. So that's what I'm saying. Like some translations, actually it says each one should carry their own burden uh, or each should carry their own burden, carry your own, like it's burden, it's burden, burden. It's confusing. So you have to, you have to dig a little bit to so like, why does this not make sense? So there are actually two separate Greek words. 
And uh, the word load um, is, is more, the, the visual I always have in my mind is more like a, I don't know, like a lunchbox, <laughs> like a knapsack, like a, a backpack that has what you need in it for the day, a briefcase if you're older. Um, I still am somewhere in between. I have a man bag. It's uh, in between a backpack and a briefcase. And I still feel masculine when I carry it. I don't care what you say. Um, but that's the idea, that you can carry it on your own. Matter of fact, not only could you carry it on your own, you should carry it on your own. So this right here, this is where you look at these two verses and you start to see this, this question that we asked, where do I end and where do other people begin? You start to see this play out right here. It's a good thing to help someone carry their burden. It is a bad thing to help someone carry their load. Did you, did you catch that? Good thing? Bad thing. Not neutral. Bad. Bad. There are certain things in life that each person is responsible for on their own. It's theirs. They need to own it. They need to do it. They need to face it. It's theirs. And if you help them with those things, you are actually hurting them. In helping them, you hurt them. When you carry something of someone else's that they are supposed to carry, you're actually hurting them. So let's, let me use kids as an example because kids, it always feels safer when you use kids as an example and we just kind of laugh about it because a lot of us have kids and, and you, you know what this stuff feels like. So let's say a seven-year-old boy comes home from school, just pulling the number out of my hat, um, kicks off his shoes wherever he wants, uh, throws his book bag down, grabs a snack, and sits in front of the TV. Uh, that part's all realistic. This next part isn't. Um, let's say mom comes in behind him, gently picks, puts his shoes where they belong for him, closes the little drawer, picks up his book bag, gets it on the table, pulls out his homework, sets it down, gets a pencil, sets it down. Okay, sweetie, come time to do your homework. And they do the thing, where, you know. And uh, she patiently sits him down, helps him with each problem. Maybe, doesn't, maybe it's not even helping. Maybe he's just writing what she's saying because she's really kind of crossing that line between helping and doing. And uh, once it's over, he pops up and runs back and she picks up the homework, puts it back in the book bag, zips it up nicely, hangs on a hook. Is it all ready for tomorrow? Did that mom help him? Yeah, a lot, right? Matter of fact, I just got done telling you the superlative life is a selfless life. That's selfless, man. That's selfless. She picked up that... Kid's shoes, <laughs> she, she, she helped him with his homework. She was patient. She did a lot of stuff. She helped him a lot. But if she continues that, she's setting him up to fail massively in his life, isn't she? Now, you know, I'm picking seven-year-olds out because I, I have one. Um, but what I'm, what I'm getting at here is, you're like, you know who's not going to do that later in his life? <laughs> His boss, for one, right? All right, come here, buddy. Bring your briefcase. Let's look, get your work out, you know? Like, let's see how it's going to go, you know? Come on. That's not happening. You know who else isn't going to do that later in life? His wife. <laughs> don't name him. <laughs> don't. But for real, right? It, she may, but she's going to complain about it the whole time, right? <laughs> Pick up your shoes again, right? Like, you're setting him up to fail later by helping him now. See, so like I said, I have experience with this. A seven-year-old can and should be responsible to put his shoes away. Should be, hypothetically, in a world somewhere. He should be able to do that. 
He can and should be responsible to get his own homework out. He may need some help, right? There may be some problems where he's like, I don't know how to do this. Some of that's not real. He does know how to do it. Some of it you have to discern as a parent. Okay, he legit doesn't understand this. And that's where you get in and help him. That's a burden. He can't do the problem. You got to help him with that. But putting his own shoes away, getting his own homework out, putting it back, getting ready for the day, that's his load. He's got he's to do that. And if you carry that for him, you're messing him up. You're messing him up. So for me, to live the superlative life when you're trying to help people, if you're going to say, you know what, part of my purpose is to help people. Part of my purpose is I'm going to pour my life out in service to others. A big piece of being able to live a superlative life is knowing the difference between a burden and a load. That's a huge thing, right? If you get them wrong, it's going to mess everything up. So here's how I would define it. Here's how I would define the difference between a burden and a load. A load is helping someone in the short term in a way that hurts them in the long term. You follow? Helping someone in the short term in a way that hurts them in the long term. And it's hard because all you're doing is helping, right? That's all I'm helping. What do you mean you're helping? Yeah. But what you're doing when you do this is you're setting yourself up to be an indispensable part of their life. You have to be there for every piece of it because you have their load. And guess what? They need that load. So if you're carrying it, you got to be right there with it, right? Because they have to have it. So if you're carrying it, you got to be right there. So you are now an indispensable part of their life. There's a term for that. You know what they call it? Codependent. You need to be needed. You want to carry this because you like being one where they need, right? There's another term for it, enabler. They don't want to carry it. So you carry it for them so they can be irresponsible. There's another term for it, sinful. It's wrong. Not supposed to do that. But I'm helping them, yes, in the short term. I'm hamstringing them in the long term. So you know what the best and most loving thing you could do for some of the people in your life? Allow them to feel the consequences of their choices. Allow them to feel it. Now, before we go any further, um, I got to throw something else out. I got to add something else in here. Just, <laughs> I've been a pastor long enough. I feel like I've, I've had enough like, conversations with people um, that I want to give you a truth. It's a freeing truth, possibly a scary truth for some of you, but if you concept it, it's life-changing. It's only four words long. Uh, here's the truth. You're ready for it. You need to be ready for it. Um, you can't change anyone. You can't. Um, wish you could. You should wish you could like reach inside their heart and like turn a dial, you know, or flip a switch or pull something out. You can't. Some of you, you need to say this to yourself. You can't change anyone. You can help them. You can. You can influence them. You can nudge, right? You can give them good advice. You can even nag them. <laughs> you try that. You can even yell at them. But you can't change them. A person changing is between them and God. Even you, by the way. I, some people are like, well, what if you, you can't change anyone except you? No, you can't change you. Have, have, you, have you met yourself? <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> That's absurd, right? You can't. You need God. You, you, this is between you and God. Your ability to change is, is directly connected to your vertical relationship with God. You can't change anyone, including you. A person changing is really between them and God, and you're not him. So some of you are exhausted right now because you're carrying other people's loads instead of their burdens. 
And here's the worst part. Can I push back on you a little bit? Because like, I kind of feel bad for you because you're really trying to help people. Um, but you're acting like a martyr because of their problems when really you're the one with the problem. You're carrying something you shouldn't be carrying. Put it down. Put it down. It's not yours. It's not yours. Which is terrifying. Right? That's terrifying. If you've been carrying someone else's load for a long time, that is a terrifying thing to do. What, what's going to happen? If I put that down, they're not going to, they're just going to keep walking. It's going to just be sitting there. You're going to be like, you got to get that thing. There's going to be what? Consequences in their life when you put down a load that you weren't supposed to carry anyways. So what if your mentality shifted? Because you've been trying to help them so much because you want them to change, but in helping them, you shielded them from the consequences of their not changing and actually impeded their progress. What if the most helpful, loving, even freeing thing you could do for another person was to allow them to feel the pain of the consequences of their actions? Instead of helping them in the short term in a way that hurts them in the long term, what if instead you allowed some hurt in the short term that helped them in the long term? What if you stepped out of the way and allowed those consequences to hit them in the short term that will help them in the long term? You got to know the difference, guys. I'm telling you, you got to know the difference. Part of the reason some of you are not living the superlative life is because you're carrying loads instead of burdens. You need to put down those loads and sure, get your shoulder underneath some burdens. I actually feel like a part of the fulfillment and and uh, purpose in life is you're going to be helping other people carry burdens. It is. Some of you are built for it, man. You're built for it. But, but you're so built for it that you also have picked up loads that aren't yours. And it's messing everything up. It's messing your life up and it's messing the person's whose load you're carrying life up. Letting someone crash on your couch for a week or two, that's carrying a burden. Letting them stay there for a year <laughs> is a load. Answering your phone at midnight to help someone process a crisis they just experienced, that's carrying a burden. Answering your phone once a week, really late at night because someone won't learn to process their own emotions, that's a load. Giving someone money to pay for an unexpected car trouble, that's carrying a burden. Giving someone money every week to pay rent because they won't do anything with their finances, that's a load. When you carry someone else's load, you are hurting them by helping them. When you don't allow someone to experience the consequences of their actions, you are hurting them by helping them. When you don't allow someone to develop the skills and emotions because of your constant intervention, you are hurting them by helping them. Verse seven. It's the last verse we'll hit here. Paul says this, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Don't get in the way of that. If a person sows irresponsibly, they should reap some chaos. If you step in and prevent the chaos, you're kind of messing up how God works. God might be trying to use the pain of those consequences to change them, and you, the helper, are actually standing in the way. And God's like, come on, man, get out. If you would just move, I could get at this thing. But you think you're the one who's going to help him, so go ahead, keep trying. But God's kind of waiting for you to say, okay, now, now I can move. So if you would get out of the way, God might actually be able to do some work on these people who are trying to help. So to live the superlative life, you have to know where you end and others begin. You have to know the difference between burdens and loads. Helping people carry burdens gives your life purpose. I do believe that. 
Helping carry people's loads gives you and them unnecessary pain. Put them down. So, let me ask you, is there another person's load that you're carrying right now? Is there, is there a, you got somebody's lunchbox, you got somebody's book bag, are you carrying it? Put it down. Or, or do you need to like have a tough conversation with someone? Cause them some pain in the short term, but it'll be good in the long term. Do you need to push through that, that awkwardness, that weirdness? Trying to say the thing that hurts gently. Willingness to have that tough conversation. You know what that is? Love? It doesn't feel that way. Yeah, but it is. It might be a higher form of love than the warm, fuzzy thing that you get doing other things. It's the most, lo- most loving thing you can do. So for some of you, I think you just need to evaluate how much for self you're living versus how much for others you're living. I think that's, maybe that's the thing today that God's after in your heart. Like you need to just think, man, how much of my life am I spending just fulfilling my own stuff, my own fulfillment, my own satisfaction, my own happiness? Maybe I need to be, live for more outside of myself. For others, others of you, you're doing that already. And you're, the thing you need to figure out is am I carrying burdens or am I carrying loads? And if I'm carrying loads, I gotta put them down and I gotta figure out how to do that. That's the superlative life. Let's pray.